Hey, you are tuned into the Bold Church podcast. My name is Yasmin Ruhi. I am one of the lead pastors here. We're so excited that you can join us for today's talk. We hope it blesses you. We hope it encourages you. And if you find it useful, go ahead and send it to someone else whose day you can bless. If you want to join us, we meet live every Sunday morning. If you want to find out our times or where we're meeting, head to our website at bold.church or head to our Instagram at boldchurch. SV. Thank you so much and enjoy today's talk. Who is excited for God's word today? Come on. We have not met. My name is Ali. And five years ago, my wife and I, we started this church called Bold. We wanted to create a place where not only Christians could grow in their faith, but listen, unchurched people could come explore their faith. And if you're new, let me tell you, we are in 21 days of prayer. Today's day seven. These are, these are, gifts from our church to you to help you grow in your faith and every Wednesday between now and the 22nd our birthday every Wednesday we have a prayer night I want to encourage you this the 13th and the 20th of September come to to an hour worship or hour of prayer it will change your life come on two of you are excited I thank God for you and uh next thing I want to explain anyone love groups at, at Bull Church come on we're going to do something special today. We're going to celebrate some people who went through a special group that everyone who joins our church, we encourage them to go to. But if you want to lead a group in this church, or if you're exploring, what does that look like? On the 17th of September, we have a town hall meeting where everyone's invited. Who can lead a group? What do I got to do? It's in the fellowship hall right after church. There's lunch provided. I want you to be a part of that. And today, are you excited for God's word? Now, if you notice, notice, we don't tell you what we're preaching right now. Uh, the last two months, we've been in a collection of talks called The Seven. We talked about the book of Revelations. And right now, we're, we're kind of doing a little tricksy little hobbit thing where we're not telling you. And the reason why is this is the number one area of your life that keeps you up at night. This, this is the number one reason of, in divorce in your life. This is the thing that gives you the most anxiety. And yet, even though I, I'm supposed to preach on it often, when I tell you I'm preaching on it, you don't come to church. So that's why Pastor Ali is a tricksy little hobbit, and I'm not telling you. Today we're talking about money. Come on. Woo! We're going there. And the title of my sermon is simply this, Who's Your Master? Who's Your Master? I, I just have this conviction, this belief that the vast majority of people, they have this desire to give, and they don't give out of greed, they give out of fear. And I want to help you be free. This, this is not a sermon where I want something for you. Don't worry, there's no special offering some of you here, when I teach out money, you think two words, give more. No, this is not about that. This is about freedom. This is about freedom. So let me pray. I'm going to jump into God's word today. I believe in he's going to speak prophetically to some of you. And you're going to walk in one way and walk out another. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, that your word is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. God, help me preach this word today with power and authority, Jesus. God, we're so thankful, God, for this building. After six years, you give it to us for free. God, it cost us something. There was a cost to revival. No one knows the, the prayers, the tears, the, the crying out to you, Jesus. God, we just want to celebrate. This, this, this birthday is really a celebration of you, God. Uh, I pray, Lord, for today's sermon. I pray, Lord, for the next two weeks, God, as we prepare our hearts during these 21 days of prayer, God, we would be more connected to you and less to the dreams of Silicon Valley than ever before. We want to walk in one way and walk out another. If you believe that, everybody said? Amen. Everybody said? Come on, can we make some noise for Jesus? You're new to our church, our tribe. 
We're just loud here, so get used to it. Let me tell you why this issue is so important. Uh, the average American spends 101% of their income. So that means if you make 100 bucks a month, you spend 101. You're really good at overspending. Uh, the average American has eight credit cards. Some of you push back a Pastor Alley, I only have two. Yes, but the person next to you has 14. <laughs> That's what that means. The average person, 90% of Americans have no budget. That means you don't decide before you get paid where my money's going. Your money tells you where it's going. There's no plan. Pastor Alley, it's organic. No, food is organic. <laughs> Your budget cannot be. The average American has $15,000 in credit card debt, and according to the first statistic, it's growing every year, unfortunately. The average American could not cover a $400 expense. Let me explain what that means. Let's say a tire popped or a radiator burst, and you had to pay $400, and the guy fixing your car only takes cash. Half of you couldn't pay that if it wasn't on your credit card. If you had to pay it, you had to go home and sell something and then pay that off. And the reason why is this next point. Most of us live paycheck to paycheck. What comes in goes out <laughs> faster than it came in. And most of us, where it's like payday. Remember that song, Bone Thugs and Heart? Wake up, wake up, wake up. It's the first of them. We sing that song every, every week. When is it payday? Because as soon as it comes in, it comes out. And unfortunately, because we don't, we live paycheck to paycheck, 30% of Americans have zero savings. And if you add up all of these problems, it leads to this problem, the number one cause of divorce. And really, when we stand before God and we're holding our spouse's hand and the, the efficient is here, it's not until death do us part. I wrote like this, it's until debt do us part. It's separating us. So who's your master? Some say, who's your master? Unfortunately, this room is full of Christians, but you have a functional God. His name is money. Many of you think, oh, I'm only preaching to the people who don't give. No, 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 no. This is a sermon where I'm coming after everyone. Because it's not just the people who live paycheck to paycheck that are in bondage. It's also the type A person. The person who can make a lot of money. The person who's excellent at savings. The person who has a lot of huge equity in their home. Huge 401k. And you're a slave too. The reason why I know this is because 10 years ago, you thought, oh my gosh. If I can make this much money, oh, then I'll be happy. And 10 years have come and passed, and you're making more than that number. And you're more unhappy now than you were back then. Because money doesn't give you happiness. So whether you're living paycheck to paycheck or you have a lot of money in the bank, I'm here to tell you, who's your master? Who's your master? And Jesus wants to give us three things. He wants to give us the location of our problem. He wants to give us the nature of our problem. And he wants to give us the solution to our problem. So if you're taking notes, write this down. If you're new to our church, we say this all the time. If you want to go to heaven, you're more likely to go take notes in church. <laughs> People always push back. Go, come on, Pastor. You're 95% more likely. And if you're a 49er fan, you're 100% more likely. Come on. This is Jesus speaking right now. Matthew chapter 6. This is Jesus speaking to all of us. He wants us to show us that often we think the location of the problem is we don't have a budget. We don't have that app. And Jesus is like, no, 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 you don't understand. The problem ate on a spreadsheet. It's somewhere else. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in. Don't be singular focused on this earth. Have an eternal perspective. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where things obviously don't, things last there. 
where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, I, I don't want to get ahead of myself because I want to get there later, but Jesus is talking about the number one indicator of your heart is not your doctrinal statement. It's not, don't listen to what people say. Go pull up their bank account and see what they really love. And most of you, it would be sushi. It'd be Zara. And, and you could say, I love Jesus, but your bank account says something different. That's what Jesus is saying. And then he continues. For the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then... In you is darkness. How great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters. I'm going to say two masters. This is where the title of the sermon comes from. Who is your master? It's either one or the other. You get to pick. And then Jesus continues and says, For either he will hate one and love the other. And this is language. This is Jewish. This is like a metaphor that they use. It's not that literally you'll hate one and love the other. This, Jesus says this in, in, in the book of Romans. He says, Jacob I loved and Esau I hated. So that God like hates one of his kids, but he prefers to go through the lineage of one. And that's what Jesus is saying. It's not that you literally hate God and love money, but you prefer that this one is your God. That's what he's saying. You will be devoted to one and despise the other, and you cannot serve both, serve God and money. And I love that Jesus is talking about money, and it's so interesting. He doesn't sound like Dave Ramsey. He doesn't give us a spreadsheet he doesn't say, oh my gosh, we've got to change your debt to income ratio. He doesn't say, oh my gosh, we've got to do the 10, 10, 80 rule. Because that's not the problem. The problem is not with the spreadsheet. The problem is in here. And that when you don't locate the problem correctly, you will always have the wrong solution. Matthew chapter 6 and Matthew chapter 5 are what many theologians call the greatest sermon ever written. Many even not, if you're new here, if you're not a Christian, you've probably heard what's typically called the Sermon on the Mount. It is the greatest, most downloaded, most read sermon, better than any TED Talk you can think of. This is the most listened to, most read sermon in all of history. Why? Because Jesus gives us insight that no one has ever topped. How is this dude so wise? Because he's not a dude. He's God in the flesh. And the point that Jesus makes in the Sermon on the Mount, he talks about a lot of subjects. He talks about anger. Talks about lust, talks about gossip, talks about prayer. And if you don't understand what Jesus is talking about, you think about all these little problems that are down the stream issues. The whole point of the Sermon on the Mount is not that you and I have anger problems or divorce problems or prayer problems. The problem is our heart. If you don't believe me, listen to what Jesus says in this next verse. For you have heard that it is said, this is the Sermon on the Mount, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that anyone who looks, someone say looks. Woo! Anyone looks at a woman lustfully, with lustful intent, has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Jesus saying, man, it's not about what you do on the outside. That's what religious people focus on. But God sees the heart. It's what's going on in here. That's where the issue is. And then he continues, if your eye is causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I thought we were talking about lust here. Why is Jesus changing the subject? And this is where, this is one of the most misinterpreted verses in the entire New Testament. Watch, Jesus continues, says, And if your right hand causes you sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one member, one of your members, that than your whole body go to hell. And people are like, 
why is Jesus changing the subject? This seems so obvious, Pastor Ali. If something's bad, cut it out of your life. And that's not what Jesus is talking about. The point Jesus is making is if you don't identify where the problem in your life is, you will cut out the wrong thing. And he's talking about if you're this Christian, this person who comes to church, you're like, oh my gosh, Jesus is my number one. I want to give him everything. And anything that's not good, I want to cut it out. And many people take Jesus' words literally. And the father, one of the early church fathers of origin, who influenced Augustine and Martin Luther, he literally castrated himself because he took the words of Jesus literally and did not understand what Jesus was saying. I read during this, the, the study for this, there was a man in Minnesota. It's not just a first century problem. People in America make this problem. He literally amputated his hand because he thought that's where the problem was. Let's take Jesus' words literally for a moment. Imagine you're a dude here. You have a girlfriend, and one Friday night, you go a little bit too far, and you lay hands on your wife or your girlfriend, because not your wife, and you're like, oh, my gosh, my hands, Ugh, they caused me to sin. Let me cut them off. Now she has to open the door for you. Come on, fellas. Let's say you're out on a date. Let's say you're out on a date and you see her wearing, you know, a pandas and she's looking really cute this morning. And you're like, oh my gosh, my eyes. My eyes are causing me to sin. So you gouge them out. I solved the problem. I have no hands. I have no eyes. Now you're on a date. She has to open the door and literally carry you to the, to the dinner table. And she starts flirting with you. And you don't have eyes to see what she's wearing. You don't have the hands to touch her. And her words... Her words cause you to start like, oh my gosh, I know what she looks like. You're like, ah! And then you cut your ears off. That's where the problem is. It's not in my hands, it's not in my, my ears. And that's the point Jesus is trying to make. You have to cut everything off to get to the root. It's not in your hands. It's in here. In the same way, you don't have a spreadsheet problem. You have a heart problem. If you don't believe me, Take the words of this man, James Patterson. He wrote a book in 1991 called The Day America Told the Truth. And in this, he did a private survey of Americans who claimed to be Christian. And he asked them secretly, if you could kill someone and not get caught, would you do it? If you could steal and not get caught, would you do it? He asked all these questions about how people were, were they truly moral? And the question that he asked that I thought was so fascinating, he asked over several thousand people this question, what would you do for $10 million? $10 million. <laughs> Welcome to Bold, by the way. Come on. 25% of people said this, I would abandon my family. Like I'd pack my bags and say goodbye to my kids and wife. Gone. 23% said they'd be a prostitute for a week. 10% would lie in a court of law letting a criminal go during a t murder trial. Crazy. 7% would kill a stranger. Hopefully none of you are in this room right now. And 3% would give up their kids for adoption. Now during COVID, I would have done it for free, so I get that one. That's nervous laughter, by the way. All the parents are like, oh, my God. And the point that Jesus is trying to make, and if you don't believe him, James Patterson say, you don't have a spreadsheet problem. You don't have a spending habit problem. You have a heart problem. The location of the issue is not out there. It's in here. Which leads us to the second thing that Jesus wants to teach us, the nature of the problem. Let me say it like this. Physical problems need physical solutions. 
And if we have a spiritual problem, we need a spiritual solution. The problem that we often do is we bring a physical solution to a spiritual problem. A spreadsheet won't help what's broken spiritually. That's what Jesus is trying to say. Matthew chapter 6, Jesus continues and he says, No one can serve two masters. Someone say two masters. For he either hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Let me just prophetically speak to some of the entrepreneurs in this room. This is Silicon Valley. Come on. You guys are the most educated, some of the smartest, hardest working people in the country. You guys are here. Half of you, statistically speaking, aren't even born here. You came here for a career. And you're in this room because you love Jesus. But at the same time, there's another goal in your heart. And you want to be very wealthy. And Jesus says those two things are in opposition to each other. That's his point. You don't understand the nature of this problem. It's deeper than you think. And you don't see it in the NIV. And I, I usually preach from ESV. But that word money, someone say money is not the Greek word money. It's the Hebrew word or the Greek word called mammon. It's a Semitic demon god named mammon. He is the god of money. Jesus is literally saying, your problem is spiritual. That voice that you hear, that money says, because money talks, says you need me, you have to have me, it's a demon speaking. A spreadsheet ain't going to break its chains over your heart. These aren't my words. These are Jesus speaking. And some of you will push back, Pastor Ali, come on. I don't like go home after church and build a little pile of money and like bow down to money. And that's the problem. You think worship is physical. Worship is spiritual. It's not what happens out here. It first begins in here. Worship. Let me read you what one theologian says. When you... Look at anything besides God for meaning, value, significance, and security. When you build your happiness on anything other than God, that thing becomes a functional God. Functionally means, like the same way that a servant or a slave serves a master, you serve and live and work for money. And the, the theologian goes on and says, you end up living your life in servitude to it, and it always results in idolatry. And this is the lie of idolatry. It's on the screen. An idol's biggest lie is when this than that. For some of you, it's money. For some of you, it's marriage. When I get married, then I'll be happy. When I get kids, then I'll be happy. When I get the promotion, then I'll be happy. When I get the house, when I get the car, and whatever you put there, that when you have it or when you get there, then you become happy, that's an idol. Let me so that we're all on the same page. And idolatry is defined as this. Idolatry is looking to something created for something only the creator can give you. Value, happiness, security, and significance. And there are three things that idols will do to try to promise you. The first is significance. For some of you, you're, you, have you ever seen Conor McGregor when he walks into like an MMA, like flings his arms around? When your bank account is up, you walk around like Conor McGregor. And what's happening is your net worth becomes your self-worth. And when you believe that, you become what Rick Warren says. You'll buy things you don't need to impress people you don't like with money you don't have. Because you, you, you come to church, but mammon's your functional God. The second thing that mammon promises is security. Someone say security. security. That you can sleep at night because you got a 401k, and your savings becomes your security, not your savior. The third thing that mammon promises, and this idol, is satisfaction. That if you have it, then, oh, 
then you'll be happy. And if that was true 10 years ago, you said, if I can make a six figures, then I'll be happy. And half of you in this room are making it, and you're miserable. Because that's what idols do. They lie to you. And the problem is not with things and money. Not, the problem is not having those things. The problem is when those things have you. Again, if you don't believe me or Jesus, take the words of a man named Andrew Carnegie. In 1901, this man was the wealthiest American to live. If you took his wealth, which was at the time in 1901, $380 million. If you took it to today's money, he would have more money than Warren Buffett, Elon Musk, and Jeff Bezos combined. We, have, we can't even comprehend how wealthy this man was. At the end, he was 33 years of age when he was the founder and owner of the company called U.S. Steel. And he recognized money's evil. This thing has power over me. And he wrote this letter saying, at the age of 35, I'm going to retire. And I'm going to get paid $50,000 a year. And look what he wrote. He says, beyond this, beyond the $50,000 and retiring in two years, never earn. Make no effort to increase fortune, but spend the surplus each year for benevolence purposes. Cast aside business. Take part in public matters, especially those connected with education and improvement of poorer classes. Why? Man must have an idol. The amassing of wealth is one of the worst species of idolatry in the world. No idol is more debasing than the worship of money. Whatever I engage in, I must push inordinately. This is why, wives, your husband is fanatical about his fantasy football team. This is the, the human condition. Therefore, I should be careful to choose the life that will be the most elevating in character. To continue much longer overwhelmed by business cares with most of my thoughts wholly upon the way to make more money in the shortest time will degrade me beyond the hope of permanent recovery. He's 33. And he has, by today's standards, over $350 billion. And he's writing this. I will resign business at 35. But during the ensuing two years, I wish to spend the afternoons in securing instruction and reading systematically. Guess what Andrew Carnegie spent the rest of his life doing? Making money. Because a spreadsheet may tell you what to do. It will never give you the desire to do it. Spiritual problems need spiritual solutions. And the reason you got money issues is not because you don't have this right app or the right spreadsheet. The nature of the problem is different. And for many of you in this room who live paycheck to paycheck and many, the other half of this room who are balling out with Silicon Valley money, you're both in slavery. Money tells you when you sleep, when you're anxious, when you're fearful. It tells you when you have joy and when you don't. And the problem is not with having things. There's nothing simple with being rich. The problem is when those things have you. And when Jesus is talking about money, it's not because he cares about your money. He cares about your freedom. Did you know Jesus? He's taught for three years. For three years he did ministry. He probably preached four or five sermons a day for three straight years. He had some bangers, bro, some good ones. These are the ones that are recorded. 25% of his sermons were about money. Why? Because the, the nature of money is that deep in your heart. And look what Jesus says in Luke chapter 12, verse 15. Watch out and guard yourselves against every form of being a Laker fan. Look what the word says. Greed. It doesn't say watch out for murder because you know when you're killing someone. It doesn't say watch out for lying because you know in your heart when you're lying. It doesn't say watch out for adultery because you're naked. 
You know when you're doing it. The nature of greed is that it tricks you and that it's not there. I've never had anyone in 10 years confess to me, Pastor Ali, I'm greedy. It's never happened because you don't see it on yourself. That's the problem. It is a spiritual problem. You don't see it when someone's wearing clothes. You don't see it in how they walk. It's hidden. And no one thinks they have that problem. The question is, well, how do we get free? Which brings us to point number three. There's the location of our problem, the nature of our problem, and then Jesus wants to give us the solution to our problem. And it was right there. We read it in the beginning. You might have saw it. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. For where your treasure is, someone say treasure. It's a thing that's the most valuable to you. Wherever it is, there your heart will be also. And the order is important. So if I'm over here with my treasure, my heart's over here. And if I want my heart to be there, Jesus is saying, if I put my treasure here, even if I'm standing over here, I'll eventually want to go over here. Let me, let me modernize this. How many of you on Monday morning at 5 a.m. are going to wake up and check the Sticker Talk ESPN? None of you. It's okay. But imagine I told everyone today, I want you to cash out your savings. 30% of you don't have one, but the 70% of you. I want you to cash out your savings and go buy ESPN. You know what you're going to do on Tuesday morning? Because you're over here and your treasure's there, Tuesday morning at 5 a.m., you're going to look up the ticker stock. And that's the problem with greed. You cannot pray it away. You cannot confess it away. I wrote like this, the antidote to greed is generosity. You become less greedy by being generous. It's the opposite of what you think. I remember when my wife and I first got married, I've told the story several times, but there's a part of my story that I hid from you. When my wife and I got, first got married, we were definitely serving Jesus as our Lord, but mammon was our God. We had $55,000 in student loans. We had twenty grand in credit card debt. We were up to our eyeballs in debt. I remember there was this pastor at the time who was mentoring me, uh, Steve Clifford at Westgate. He's my pastor. And he's like, if you ever want to go into ministry and start this church, you have to be debt-free. I was like, that's impossible. So my wife and I, we created this plan to become debt-free. For the next almost two years, we didn't eat out. We didn't go on vacation. We didn't buy clothes. We were, like, committed to becoming debt-free. And as soon as we became debt-free, my wife's like, hey, I have this dream in my heart. Uh, I want to be a wedding photographer. I was like, cool. And we pulled some money, bought her this amazing camera, and her career started taking out. But it took time for her to start making money. So for imagine for three years, we're living like poor college students. And then I think it was like early 2016, maybe even early 2015, my wife's like, I want a baby. I'm like, I want a unicorn. What are you talking about? <laughs> Now, we were just like talking about, like, what do you mean? And in my mind, we had been living off one salary for over a year and a half. We had just come out of this crazy season payoff debt. I'm like, I want a new car. I want to live in New York or somewhere fun. I want to go to Europe. No. And my wife does what she always does. 
She doesn't yell at me. She just goes to the closet and has God yell at me. <laughs> so it's a word for some of you spouses in this room. And I remember just praying about it because I didn't want to fight with my wife. And it's not like she told me every day, but this was the desire of her heart. And she was just waiting for God to speak to me. And God began to speak to me. And there was this tension. It's a tension that many of you feel. And I put it on the screen like this. God had issued a command. And at the same time, Mammon had issued a command. God said, build a family. And Mammon said, no, you need more of me to be happy. And I had to make a choice. Which God I was going to listen to. I want to show you a picture of what I chose or what we chose. So I have to admit it. I, I didn't want a kid at first. I wanted 10, 20 grand in savings. I wanted a brand new car. I was tired of being poor. And if you had told me now, here's all the money you could have had versus her, I would never even for all of Andrew Carnegie's money, I'd never trade any of it for her. And that's what mammon does. It lies to you. It tells you if you have me, then you'll be happy. And it has a calling for your life that's very different than the calling that God has for your life. Look what Jesus says in Luke chapter 12. No, no, let me show you the next point. Many people think, oh, Pastor Ali, this is only a Silicon Valley problem. You and your wife were, need to be dual income, then you have a little bit more margin. No, no, no. This is a mega theme throughout the Bible. This is not just a Silicon Valley problem where we have the highest rent in the country, the highest gas prices. That's why we're so tight. No, 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 no. For thousands of years, this has been the problem of humanity. That's why Jesus talked about money so often. This is Exodus chapter 25. The Israelites have just come out of slavery for 400 years. Where my wife and I were in slavery for two years, they were in slavery for 400. And God commands Moses, tell the people to bring an offering. Look what he says. The Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites to bring me an offering. You are to receive the offering from me from everyone whose heart prompts them to give. No one is forced. God gives you the choice. These are the offerings you are to receive from them. Gold, silver, bronze, blue, purple, scarlet yarn, and fine linen. Gucci, all the good stuff. Hair, goat hair, ramskins, dyed red, and other types of durable leather. Acacia wood, olive oil for the, for the light. Spices for the anointing oil and fragrance incense. And onyx stones and other gems to be mounted on the ephod and breastplate. Then have them make a sanctuary for him. He's, like saying, he's saying, basically build me a house. And I will dwell among them. God gives them a command. This is all the extra they have. And go to the next time God asks the same exact ask in Exodus 35. Why is God repeating himself? Is God like, like, like a parrot just repeating himself? Because they didn't do it. So he literally has to give the same command. Moses said to the Israelites, this is what the Lord has commanded. I already gave this to you. I already told you. Take an offering for the Lord. Everyone who's willing to bring to the Lord an offering of gold, silver, bronze. It's the same exact list. Why is God repeating himself? Do you know what happens between Exodus 34 and Exodus 35? The people don't give their money to God. They give it to mammon. They build a golden calf. And I wrote it like this. You will either, if you don't give your money to Jesus, you will give it to mammon. And God's shameless audacity in asking people to give rescues them from their love of money. Instead of being angry with me that I'm preaching on money, you're saying, thank you, Pastor Ali. I'm more greedy than I'm willing to admit. I want to be free. Someone say, who's your master? 
Luke 12, Jesus said to them, and he told them this parable saying, the land of the rich man produced plentiful. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have nowhere to store my crops. I have so much extra. And he continues out. And then he said, I will do this. I will tear down barns and build larger ones. I'm going to have all this surplus. I want to have more and more. 55-inch TV to 85-inch TV. One house to a house and a boat. Just more. And there I will store all my grain and goods. And it continues. I will say to my soul. He's talking to himself. Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Someone say many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. That must mean I have, must, I have more time. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? There's nothing sinful about being rich. There's nothing wrong with having things. The problem is when things have you. And then Jesus ends with this. This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, for themselves but is not rich towards God. Do you know what true riches are? True riches are people. And using your extra to have more people in heaven. More people in heaven. Not to have bigger barns. But Jesus is saying, you're using it for an eternal kingdom. I know it's a heavy word, but I want to pray for you. Could you bow your heads and close your eyes. God, we just declare by faith we just declare by faith, God, we want to break the lie of mammon that it has over us. That we're not going to trust in money anymore for security, significance, and satisfaction. God, the problem is not in a spreadsheet. The problem is not physical. The problem is spiritual, Lord. And God, I can't pray this problem away. The antidote to greed, God, is only generosity. God, help me trust you. God, help me place my faith in you. Pray for this church, Lord, that this isn't about an offering. This isn't about giving more. This is about freedom. I just feel so led to pray for some of you in this room that 2,000 years ago, God became a man in the person of Jesus. He was born of a virgin, lived a sinless and perfect life. And he didn't come to give us a book. He didn't come to give us a religion. He came to die on a cross for our sins. It doesn't matter how many homeless people you feed, how many good things you do. The only way you and I can have a relationship with God is we need to be forgiven of our sin. And we don't give money to be forgiven, by the way. We give because we're already forgiven. We don't give to be loved. We give because we already are loved. God didn't die for us on a cross. Because we were his friends. He died for us when we were his enemies. I just want to extend that invitation from the living God to you. That Jesus wants a relationship with you. It's not about coming to a building, those things you do. It's not about reading the Bible, those things he wants to speak to you. It's about having a relationship with the living God. He's alive. He died on a cross, but he didn't stay dead. 
he resurrected. Three days later, proving his sacrifice was perfect. And the living God, Jesus, wants a relationship with you. He wants to walk with you. He wants to provide for you. He wants to be your God. You're not just trusting in good vibes. You're trusting in Jesus. And if you feel that tug on your heart this morning to begin a relationship with Jesus, with every eye closed and every head bowed, I want to ask you if that's you this morning and you feel this tug on your heart. I'm going to count to three. I want you to shoot your hand up. You're not saying yes to me. You're not saying yes to this church. You're saying yes to Jesus. One, two, three. Would you shoot your hand up if that's you this morning? Amen, I see your hand. Amen, I see your hand. I want everyone to pray this prayer out loud. Say, thank you, Jesus, that you love me, that you left heaven to come and die for me. Thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you that you died in my place for my sin. I repent, Lord. I turn from my sin. I turn from trusting in mammon and trusting in you. As much as I understand now, would you be the Lord of my life? And everybody said... Everybody said. Hey, thank you so much for listening today. If you want to follow us on social media and just stay up to our current events, our social media handle is Bold Church SV. That's Bold Church SV for Silicon Valley. We hope you stay blessed and we'll see you soon.